Thank you so much for having me here. I'm really excited, and I think it's really wonderful that you guys are doing this program. Um, this is exactly the type of program that we need to see in every congregation, every faith, um, for the times that we're living in. So I'll first greet you with the Islamic reading of peace, which is Assalamu Alaikum, peace be upon you all. And I'd love to start um, just by opening with the opening chapter of the Quran, which is called the Al-Fatiha or the opening. And so this chapter, <clears throat> Muslims will say uh, almost about 20 times a day because uh, in our five daily prayers, we repeat it. Um, so I'll start with this. In the name of God, the most compassionate, the most merciful. All praise is due to God alone, the sustainer of all the worlds. The most compassionate, the most merciful. Lord of the day of judgment. You alone do we worship, and to you alone do we turn for help. Guide us onto the straight way, the way of those upon you have, who you have bestowed your blessings, not of those who have been condemned, nor of those who go astray. So you'll even notice in there um, some similarities to the Lord's Prayer. Um, so what I'll do today is just start off with my own personal story, uh, why I'm a Muslim, why I love Islam, um, what brought me deeper to, uh, to my faith, um, and then just go into some really basic Islam 101 um, type uh, facts. Um, and then I'll end with, uh, you know, some things that I think would be helpful for Christians to know about Muslims and about Islam. Um, so my background, um, <clears throat> I, I grew up in, you know, fairly religious family. Um, my parents used to take me to Sunday school. Um, and I had a, a tutor who would come to the house to teach me Arabic and, uh, to recite the Quran. Um, and growing up, you know, I was proud to be a Muslim. I was happy to be a Muslim. Um, I really loved that there was never any question that I had that couldn't be answered in a logical way. Um, I really loved that Islam, uh, appealed to logic and appealed to reason and was very simple. Um, and I, my connection at that point though was still fairly, uh, I would say cultural or, um, you know, more of a, an identity. Um, it wasn't really, um, uh, I would say, I, it was of choice, but I wouldn't say it was something that I was completely passionate about uh, until I opened the Quran and I read it for myself in English. Um, so what prompted this was actually 9-11. So I was in 11th grade uh, when 9-11 happened, and all throughout the media I kept seeing um, verses of the Quran being cherry-picked and taken out of context. And so I became really curious, does the Quran really say all this stuff? Um, because if it does, I wouldn't want to be Muslim, obviously. Um, so I did something that Muslims normally don't do. Um, so all across the world, and this is actually true of uh, the Jewish faith as well, um, that uh, Muslims will learn to read and recite the Quran in Arabic without actually understanding the meaning or the translation. Um, and so what I did was I opened, opened up an English translation of the Quran and I started reading it from front cover to back cover. Uh, and what I discovered 
caused me to fall madly in love with my religion. Um, I already thought I was a proud Muslim, but this is where Islam became a passion of mine and became something that I wanted to focus my entire life around. What I found in the Quran was that every single chapter, except for one, there's four, 114 chapters in the Quran, every single chapter of the Quran opens with, in the name of God, the most compassionate, the most merciful. I found a universal message for all people of all times, of all places, all different uh, intelligence levels, um, walks of life. It truly is a universal message. As I began to study deeper and um, looked into uh, biographies of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, I was struck by his gentle character and his beauty of spirit. The fact that this was an orphan. He was an orphan raised in a very tribalistic society that looked down upon people who didn't have uh, tribal associations. And he, he was orphaned at a young age. He grew up um, very in tune with the needs of the oppressed and the downtrodden. And he grew up to be one of the greatest leaders, um, or the greatest leader, actually, of his society. He caused a revolution. He closed the gap between the rich and the poor of his society. He liberated women of his society who were being sold as slaves at the time. He, he gave women the right to, to divorce, the right to inherit, um, among other things. Um, I, I, I would just say my path uh, to Islam really starts uh, with the Quran, and that is um, what, what gives everything uh, its meaning to me. Um, I want to share with you one chapter from the Quran that is thought to be or said to be uh, a summary of the message of the Quran, and this is called Al-Asr, Time. This is the 103rd chapter of the Quran. In the name of God, the most compassionate, the most merciful. Consider the flight of time. Verily, the human being is in a state of loss, except those who attain to faith and do good works and enjoin upon one another the keeping to truth and enjoin upon one another patience in adversity. So that really sums up the message of the Quran. Um, other things that really caused me to be passionate about Islam is its diversity. Uh, it is the most diverse religion in the world, in the US, and uh, it is very pluralistic and egalitarian as well. And that actually is a double-edged sword because without a central leader, without any pope-like figures or clergy or anything like that, anyone can kind of claim to be the representative of Islam. And so that's what you kind of see in the media. Um, is people popping up, extremists popping up, and claiming that they're representing Muslims when they're actually not. Uh, so what is Islam? Um, I'll start by defining a few terms, um, just so uh, just so that we're you know kind of using the same language. So a lot of times you'll hear people say in Islam that phrase in Islam. Islam is not a place. Islam is a religion. Um, and it's a way of life. It's not something that you do one day of the week. It's not something that you do when you remember. It is a way of life. It's something that you involve in every aspect of your life. Um, you know, from the way that you interact with others, uh, to the way that you eat, to the way that you dress, to the way that you think. Um, 
constantly you are reminded of God and of your purpose on this earth to do good. Uh, Allah is the word for God in Arabic. Um, and this is the same God that uh, all the Abrahamic uh, faiths share. So Judaism, Christianity, and Islam um, all point to the same God. Um, and in fact, if you go to Arab countries uh, where th there are Christians and Jews, they will actually use the term Allah as well to, to refer to God. The Muslim concept of God, though, is slightly different um, from Christianity. Uh, so we do not believe that God is a human figure or has any representation, um, any sort of uh, um, human representation. Uh, we believe that God is neither male nor female, that God is beyond gender, beyond the confines and definitions of this world, this temporary life. Uh, we do believe in all of the prophets, from Prophet Adam to Prophet Jesus. We believe Jesus was a prophet uh, to Moses, Noah, and we believe that Muhammad was the last prophet in the line of prophets. Um, we believe that all human beings are born pure and born sinless, and that before we were born on this earth, we took a covenant with God, that once we were born on this earth, we would return to God and that we would remember God. And what you do see is, at least in my experience, when, when we turn away from God and we forget God, that is when we experience hell on this earth, actually. Um, a few other, you know, kind of facts and, and, um, and terms. Um, well, we do believe that, it, uh, we also believe in, you know, heaven and hell, and we believe in uh, angels, the devil. We actually believe the devil is very weak, and that just the remembrance of God is enough to, um, to basically scare him off. Um, the term Islam means peace. So this is not just the, the word peace as we know it. Um, it's, it's actually a much deeper... Uh, it has a much deeper connotation and meaning. So it is specifically the peace that comes through submission and through surrender of the soul. Um, you know, you can think of uh, the sensation of floating or, um, you know, um, swimming in water or floating in space, that sort of surrender and complete submission to God where you are in a state of peace, where when the... Uh, the the different um, forces of this world pull you in different directions because you are centered and you are grounded in your uh, state of remembrance of God. You are in a in a state of peace and you don't react, um, you know, to the forces of this world. Um, a Muslim is simply someone who practices Islam, uh, someone who submits um, to God. And um, one really important thing I want to, uh, one discrepancy I want to point out is that um, not all Arabs are Muslim and not all Muslims are Arabs. So actually only, uh, or actually less than 30% of all Muslims are Arab. Um, Islam is uh, either the, the most or one of the most diverse religions across the world. Um, and so when you see uh, representations of Muslims in the media, you often um, will see, you know, certain countries, um, and in particular countries that are uh, reacting to the political reality of their country. So it's not necessarily Islam as a whole, it's Islam in that country, in that political reality and um, 
you know, uh, the the things that are going on in their history. Um, there are over 1.2 billion Muslims in the world, and Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world. Um, as I said, we have no clergy, uh, no pastors, priests. Um, it is truly an egalitarian religion, and that's something that I really love, is that as Muslims, we have a direct connection to God. Um, and in fact, it goes so far as to say that on the Day of Judgment, we each are going to be standing in front of God alone. So we won't be able to point to anyone else you know, who led us astray. We are each completely responsible for our own actions, good and bad. Um, so it is definitely a, a religion that stresses personal responsibility and accountability. Um, as Muslims, we believe that the Quran is the direct word of God uh, that was revealed to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, through the angel Gabriel. And um, as Muslims, what we strive to follow in our daily lives is are the teachings of the Quran and also the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. So he, um, one of his quotes, one of the things that he said was, I have been sent to perfect your good character. So the whole purpose of his message was to perfect the way that we treat one another. And so um, what's really remarkable is that there are so many accounts of his life, um, you know, the people, uh, his companions, his friends and followers were literally writing down every single detail of his life, even, you know, uh, his habits in the bathroom down to that detail. So we really have exactly, you know, in our opinion, how to live the best life according to someone who did the best um, uh, here on earth. Um, I'll go over the five pillars of Islam. So these are um, just a very basic way of uh, understanding um, Muslims' uh, requirements. So to be a Muslim, um, to, to become a Muslim, you have to say the Shahada, which is the declaration of faith. And that is that there is no God but God, and Muhammad is the last messenger of God. And when you say that with intention and with meaning and sincerity in your heart, you are then a Muslim. Um, the second pillar of faith is prayer. So obviously we have the five daily prayers at different times of the day. Um, and these prayers are uh, more of prayers of gratitude, of grounding ourselves um, back to our purpose here on earth. Um, and it is a physical prayer. Um, the prayer... Um, uh, it, it almost looks like a series of yoga moves, I guess you could say. Um, but the point is that we are created as mind, body, and spirit. So our prayer requires and involves our intellect, our spirit, and our body. Um, and in addition to that, we also make supplications, um, you know, uh, when we want uh, to ask God for things, um, we just simply raise our hands up and ask for the blessings. Um, the third uh, pillar of faith is charity. So it's required for every Muslim who is able uh, to give a minimum of 2.5% of their wealth to the poor and to the needy every year. Uh, another requirement is fasting during the month of Ramadan. So this was the month that the Quran was actually revealed um, or started to be revealed. 
Um, and during this month, we will fast um, a, a sort of similar to Lent. So um, we'll fast each day uh, from dawn until sunset, um, and we'll fast from food and water. But more importantly, it is what I like to call boot camp for the soul, because um, if you, you know, if you have uh, an outburst of anger, that breaks your fast. If you, you know, do something um uh, you know, that, that violates good character, that breaks your fast as well. So it, it really is um, a month of purification of the soul and of the heart and, um, and disciplining yourself. If you have the ability to discipline yourself from things that are good for, me, for you, like water and food, then you definitely have the power to uh, prevent yourself from doing things that are bad for you as well. Um, and then the final... Um, a pillar of faith is called Hajj, and this is the uh, once-in-a-lifetime, if you can do it more, that's great, um, but the once-in-a-lifetime pilgrimage um, to the holiest site in, uh, in Islam, and that is the Kaaba, um, the holy mosque in Mecca in Saudi Arabia. And interestingly enough, that mosque, uh, we believe, was originally built by Prophet Abraham, or Ibrahim in Arabic. Um, and part of the rituals of that Hajj pilgrimage uh, include um, uh, reenactments of the trial of Hagar. So his wife, uh, who was left alone in the desert with her son, um, there was a point where she was running up and down between two mountains um, to seek for help. Um, and so part of the Muslim pilgrimage is to actually reenact her running up and down seeking for help. So um, there's some really beautiful, um, uh, you know, tie-ins um, through the Abrahamic uh, faiths there. Um, and so now I'll just go into, you know, a few things that uh, Christians should know or that I would love for Christians to know um, about Muslims and about Islam. So number one, Muslims are just like you. Um, we are, uh, you know, good, bad, funny, boring, annoying. Trust me, I know a lot of anno annoying Muslims. <laughs> Um, you know, we come in all shades uh, and all personalities and characters. Um, it, it's, it really is unfortunate that, um, you know, portrayals of Muslims are so extreme and um, it, it's just not juicy to see uh, the regular boring Muslim Joe or Yusuf. Um, and, and proof of that, actually, I was uh, a few years ago, there was a reality show called All American Muslim. Um, and I was uh, working on that as uh, like a grassroots um, uh, publicist for the show. And this was just a reality show about an everyday Muslim American family uh, who was actually, I think, half Shia and half Sunni, so the mom and dad. Um, and the show got canceled because they were really boring, just like everyone else. <laughs> As proof, um, but actually, even that show, um, the reason it, it started 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 to get into trouble was that um, a really extremist right wing group wrote the advertisers for the show and and complained that they're portraying Muslims as if they're normal. Um, and you laugh, but the advertisers actually listened. And so Lowe's, Kayak, a few different other advertisers pulled their ads for the show. And that um, I don't think that's the reason the show got canceled, but it definitely uh, hit a decline there. Um, 
Um, a few other things, so I would, uh, just to, uh, you know, uh, address some of the, the things that are going on in our world right now, um, I would say that ISIS to Muslims is KKK to white people, um, and it is a direct metaphor, a direct analogy. Um, that's why it's so uh, astounding to us Muslims when we see people, <laughs> you know, take extremists seriously as if they're representing us and they're really not. They just have, they've uh, mastered the art of uh, giving the juiciest media clips. And meanwhile, um, you know, all the everyday <clears throat> regular American Muslims and Muslims all over the world um, could be shouting that, you know, we don't agree with that, but unless we have that spotlight, um, it doesn't seem like we're speaking up, but we definitely are. Um, and uh, part of my, my story as well was um, after 9-11, um, when I was, uh, I was in the last year of high school and then going on to college, um, I volunteered for uh, a Muslim American civil rights organization called CARE, uh, which is the Council on American Islamic Relations. And uh, what we saw was immediately after 9-11, there was an outpouring of support and sympathy for Muslims. Um, but then as we saw the rise in, or the way that the media coverage kind of picked up around what was going on, we quickly saw a spike in hate crimes. And it was actually um, hate crimes against American Muslims rose 1,600% um, in, in, in those years um, and recently has gone through another spike um, uh, that we directly see as linked to media images. So um, that's what really, you know, um, uh, what I felt called me into getting involved in the media because I was so sick of seeing people speak on behalf of Muslims um, and I just wanted to be able to speak for myself and um, that's why I'm especially grateful for this opportunity called Voices where you know you guys are uh, literally welcoming t me to speak in my own voice um, so I'm very grateful and um, uh, thankful for that. Um, Islam in America has a very long history, so um, people don't usually know this, but on the slave ships, um, it's estimated that about 20 to 30 percent of the slaves that were brought from Africa were Muslim, um, but they were uh, forcibly converted out of their religion. Um, but you can still see traces, there is evidence of um, of uh, things that were written in Arabic, people or some of the slaves had, had uh, written uh, verses of the Quran. Um, there are a lot of tie-ins actually in uh, in the music that came up uh, during that time. Um, like you can hear the same rhythm in the blues um, as in the Quran, uh, which is really amazing. Um, and so that was the first wave of Muslims to the U.S. Um, and then in more recent years, there have been other uh, waves of uh, immigrants and um, uh, and Muslims who came to the U.S. Uh, my parents came from Sri Lanka in the 70s. Um, and usually when people immigrate to, immigrate to the U.S., it's because they're escaping war or famine. My parents came for Elvis. Um, so, so that gives you a... A little idea of uh, my background. Um, <laughs> um, I'd love for Christians just to know how many similarities we have. Um, 
my, I go by my middle name Hasna, but my first name is Maryam uh, for Mary. Um, there is actually a chapter, chapter 19 in the Quran is named after Mary. Um, there are several verses that speak about Jesus. Um, in the earliest years um, of Islam, when the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was being persecuted, uh, that community, that early community of Muslims, actually sought refuge um, with the Christians in, uh, I believe, in Abyssinia or Ethiopia. I might be getting that wrong. Um, but the leader of that Christian leader who took them in, uh, after hearing the message of the Quran and hearing from uh, the Muslims, um, came up with a very beautiful quote uh, and he said that Islam and Christianity are like two streams of light coming in from the same light source. Um, so I think that's a, a really beautiful way to think of our religions and how similar they are. Um, just to combat you know, some of the uh, the stereotypes and misinformation out there. Um, suicide in Islam is absolutely prohibited. We believe that people who commit suicide go to hell. Um, and if you think about it, it's actually just the weakest form of faith, you know, whatever injustice you're facing in this world for you to give up um, and and think that uh, by doing wrong, you're, you're doing good. Um, and actually, in the Quran, in chapter 5, verse 32, it says that if you take one life, it's as if you've taken the lives of all of humankind. And if you save one life, it's as if you've saved all of the lives of humankind. So the Quran is very clear on this. Um, and what you see around the world uh, are people, um, you know, extremist leaders, uh, political leaders who very uh, manipulatively take advantage of, um, of religious messages and, and warp them to try and uh, bolster their political messages. But it really is all just about politics. It's not religion. Um, and just to, to hone in on that point, I'll, I'll read you the translation for uh, Surah uh, Kafirun, or the Disbeliever. Um, and this is chapter 109. In the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful, say, O you who disbelieve, I do not worship what you worship, and neither do you worship what I worship. And I will not worship what you worship, and neither will you worship what I worship. Unto you, your moral law, and unto me, mine. So you can see right there um, how pluralistic um, the, uh, the message in the Quran is. Um, there's absolute respect for all religions, um, and um, actually Jews and Christians in Islam have a special place. They're called, we're all called people of the book, um, because we're uh, these three Abrahamic religions that all have books. Um, so what I'd like to leave you with is that just ask questions, and I'm here to answer as many questions as you have. Muslims are so, uh, you know, Americans, uh, non-Muslim Americans are scared of terrorists. Uh, American Muslims are scared of terrorists, and we're scared of people thinking we're terrorists, and we're scared of people attacking us. We're doubly, triply scared. Um, we love when people ask us questions. Don't worry if it's a stupid question. We want to answer it. Um, and, and keep in mind that, you know, 
different Muslims are on different levels of faith and different levels of knowledge. So, um, of course, uh, you know, ask as many Muslims as you know. Um, beware of what's online. Uh, the internet is a, a dangerous place and you can be misled very easily. Um, I personally recommend, uh, if you want to read the Quran, um, reading the the Muhammad Asad translation, uh, that's A-S-A-D, um, just because he himself uh, comes from a Judeo-Christian background and he converted to Islam. And so his uh, way of translating and his commentary um, helps draw in a lot of similarities from the, the Bible and the Torah, which make it very easy to, to understand. Um, and that is really the you know the best way to learn about islam is to read the quran the very first word that was ever revealed to the prophet muhammad peace be upon him was read um, so i encourage you um, and everyone to just read um, and don't believe what you hear um, you guys are doing the right thing by by going to the source and i'm again very thankful and grateful for that Um, so yeah, at this time, I'd love to take any questions you guys have. I'll read the questions for the audio recording. Um, so the question is, what are the biggest challenges you face? How can we best show you love and empathy? Um, such beautiful questions. Aww. You just did it. You just showed me love and empathy. Um, biggest challenges we face is just misrepresentation. Uh, and it's... Yeah, it's really difficult, and, and it's very painful. Um, you know, sometimes uh, I try not to read internet troll comments, but sometimes you'll see things, uh, you know, and people actually using, for example, the, the term Allahu Akbar as if it's an insult, and, and then you think, oh, it's because they see so many, uh, you know, portrayals of Muslims in the media, so-called Muslims in the media, um, you know, even on fictional shows where someone screams Allahu Akbar and then they go commit a violent act and um, they're missing out, you know, it's it's like you're, you feel your heart breaking because to a Muslim, Allahu Akbar is such a beautiful term. Um, sometimes it's translated as God is the greatest, um, but a more accurate translation is God is greater. Um, and that's such a beautiful concept of thinking that God is greater than anything you could possibly compare God to, God is greater than the act of comparison. Um, so, so things like that, um, you know, are really difficult. Um, but exactly what you guys are doing, um, you know, reaching out, uh, listening, asking questions, um, you guys are doing a great job, and, and I thank you for it. Okay, so thanks for being here, Hasna. You're welcome. Um, unfortunately, 9-11 has been used as a lens through which many people view Islam. How has uh, your experience as a Muslim changed in the 15 years since 9-11? In your experience, what can we do to help move our culture beyond tolerance to fully embrace and love Muslims? Uh, so, yeah, that's true, you know. Um, 
I think the biggest way that uh, 9-11 affected Muslims is that it really polarized them. So in the years uh, after 9-11, you saw a lot of Muhammads become Mo's um, and uh, kind of go into hiding and shave off you know, whatever facial hair they had. Um, you also saw a lot of people come out and um, come out, I guess, as Muslim. And you know, there's a whole uh, generation, uh, my generation, of Muslim filmmakers and people who see that we really need to get involved in the media. Um, my um, older siblings' generation, you see a lot of uh, lawyers and people who are fighting for civil rights. Um, so it really has forced us to take a stand, either you know come out and be proud of our faith and represent it, um, or you know, and I, I don't judge those who you know who wish to avoid that scrutiny, that public scrutiny, but a lot of people, unfortunately, don't feel safe to, um, you know, fully express their faith in public. Um, and what you can do is, uh, you know, exactly what you're doing, reach out to Muslims, ask questions, uh, read the Quran and become more knowledgeable about what it actually says so that, you know, when you do hear people in your own circles, um, you know, misrepresenting Islam, you can be like, no, I actually know the truth and I can, I can disprove you. Um, uh, you know, you can reach out to mosques, you can visit mosques. Women are more than welcome to come to our mosque and, and see. Um, we actually do have uh, a large, about uh, maybe a dozen or so interfaith congregants who come um, to our every service um, just to observe and, and participate and learn. So, um, you know, there are lots of mosques that have open mosque days. Um, Muslims are very hungry to disprove all of the, the misconceptions. So um, just by keeping an open heart, and, you know, um, when you hear things, when there are no Muslims present, being that brave voice uh, for truth and peace and love um, can go a long way because we can stand up here as much as we want and say we're peaceful people, but um, unless we have allies who can also vouch for us, um, you know, our, our word is only worth so much, um, especially in these times. I enjoy your expression of Islam, particularly in regard to egalitarianism, love, peace, and equality. Do you think that gender inequalities that we see in some Muslim cultures are a misrepresentation of Islam? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so actually, I wanted to read a verse to you in the Quran uh, exactly on this topic. And this is uh, chapter 4. One, uh, verse 135. I'm sorry, it's not. It's chapter 33, uh, verse 35. Verily, for all men and women who have surrendered themselves unto God, and all believing men and believing women, and all truly devout men and truly devout women, and all men and women who are true to their word, and all men and women who are patient in adversity, and all men and women who humble themselves before God, and all men and women who give in charity, and all self-denying men and self-denying women, and all men and women who are mindful of their chastity, and all men and women who remember God unceasingly. For all of them has God readied forgiveness of sins and a mighty reward.
So the backstory be behind this verse is phenomenal. Um, so there's a woman, uh, I believe her name was Um Salama, who came to the Prophet Muhammad, uh, peace be upon him, and complained. And she said, why in the Quran does it sound like God is only talking to men? Um, the Prophet did not say, you're being sensitive. Um, he instead stayed silent and waited for revelation to come, and this is the verse that came. Um, and what's really incredible about that is God could have easily made the entire Quran sound exactly like this. But by setting up this, this um, sequence of events, God is proving to us that not only do women have the right to question the patriarchy of their times, that they are in fact uh, they are in fact doing so with God's blessing. And so this woman was honored in that her question was then responded immediately with a verse in the Quran that spoke exactly of equality between genders. Um, so definitely you see, you know, in so certain countries around the world, um, again, this is why it's so uh, important to read about the history. Um, and a really great, great book that I recommend is Destiny Disrupted um, by Tamim Ansari, um, which covers the entire history of Islam from inception to modern day. Um, but in a lot of countries, unfortunately, you see people uh, using Islam as a way to bolster their own sexist views, whether it comes from culture or whether it comes from politics. Um, and a few countries in particular, uh, it's really interesting, like countries like Afghanistan and Iran, where they actually require women to uh, you know, dress a certain way and cover a certain way. If you go back just 50 years before, it was actually the opposite policies that were in place. And so you see that extremism begets extremism. So when the opposing party then comes into, into power, they then react to the previous um, policies and then go a, a step further. Um, so, and the opposite policies that were in place were that um, uh, women were not allowed to cover or, uh, or dress the way they, uh, they wanted as an expression of their faith. Um, so it is really important to, uh, for all of us, Muslims especially, to educate ourselves um, about the difference between culture and religion. Um, and I think that was also the most liberating thing for me uh, in reading the Quran um, in English for myself, uh, was I was then able to see, okay, so that thing that I've been hearing, that's just culture, that's maybe Pakistani culture, or this culture, or that culture, this is what the Quran says, and now I know what the Quran says, and I feel empowered. Um, so it's equally, I mean, more important for Muslims um, to, to read the Quran in a language they understand. And um, that's actually one of the things that we're focusing on uh, in our mosque, in the women's mosque, um, that is Quran literacy, because we feel that the best way to empower women is to just become well-versed in the religion and in the Quran. Um, so, okay, so he is, you're asking um, about uh, it, the, basically, mm -hmm. okay. 
Okay. So, um, so I guess maybe I should start with uh, talking about the mosque layout, typical mosque layout. So, um, the one thing that should be clarified is that the segregation, the physical segregation that happens in mosques, is not uh, is not actually done out of any sort of inequality uh, or anything like that. It's actually for a very um, practical re reason. Um, that is that the prayer is very physically intimate. Um, you're literally standing, bowing, prostrating with your head on the floor. You know what? In the air, um, and you're you know you're standing shoulder to shoulder. Um, uh, next to the people you're praying. So um, that's just a very practical reason. You know, I wouldn't feel comfortable praying right next to men or uh, with men behind me um, when I'm ben bending over. So um, that's just the, the practical reason why the, the prayer is physically separated. Um, now beyond that, how a mosque chooses to separate uh, really depends on the cultural makeup of that mosque. Um, so you'll see, you know, some mosques will um, separate with women on the right, and men on the left. Um, some, just because of the architecture of the mosque, it's, it makes more sense to have men in front and women in the back, um, or to have a curtain or something like that. Um, so it really just does, does depend on the cultural makeup of the mosque. Um, and, um, it, you know, Islam is so diverse. Um, I was lucky enough to grow up going to um, uh, one of the biggest mosques in Southern California, which is down in uh, Garden Grove. And so you would see people from every single culture across the world. Um, and I think because of that diversity, uh, there was no one specific cultural way that was able to dominate. Um, but in some mosques um, that, you know, maybe they're in an area where there is uh, more of a concentration of a particular uh, ethnic or cultural makeup, then that mosque will kind of take on uh, some of the cultural practices. Um, uh, so it really, it, it really does vary mosque to mosque. Um, and then our reason for, you know, or my reason for creating the, a, a women's mosque, um, was just to have, um, it, it very much in the spirit of, you know, women's college or a women's gym, to have a space where women could feel comfortable experimenting and, and trying new roles, um, and, uh, having a safe space of sisterhood. Um, you know, for example, uh, in April of last year, um, in honor of Sexual Assault Awareness Month, we had a survivor of sexual assault come and deliver a sermon. Um, and the sharing that happened in the circle afterwards definitely would not have been able, uh, would not have been possible if there were men in the room. Um, so things like that. Um, you know, uh, and we very much are a complementary space. We're not an alternative uh, alternative space. Um, you know, we have co-ed events, um, and uh, we work with several mosques, and, and male imams support us. Um, so what we're doing is very much within the orthodoxy of Islam, um, and women's mosques actually exist all across the world, um, and the majority of them are in China. The, the rest have kind of died off, um, but the ones in China are still very strong. Um, and going. Okay, so do you feel the variations in historical accounts between the Quran and the Bible are due to scholarly inaccuracies? Should we look past these differences due to the core message between Christianity and Islam being similar? 
Yeah, so um, the Islamic view uh, on different religions and on you know the other books is that every single community was sent a messenger. So we actually believe there are, I think, about uh, 25 prophets um, that are mentioned by name in the Quran, but we believe that there were hundreds of thousands of prophets. Um, and that, uh, you know, and even sometimes when I read um, like Navajo uh, prayers, I see a lot of similarities too. And so, um, you know, we believe that every single community uh, throughout time was given a messenger and was given um, guidance from God, um, but that every single one of those messages was tailored to that specific group and to that specific nation, and so that Islam being the final message and the seal of the messages um, was the first, or, or was the, um, as the last transmission from God, uh, was finally the universal message for everyone um, to come afterwards. Um, so that's basically, you know, our view is that um, you know, all of those other religions are definitely valid and they're uh, respected. Um, and uh, in terms of our own personal practice, though, um, we do believe that, you know, over time there were changes and there were distortions um, in religion. So, you know, even the, the Muslim uh, view on Jesus. So we believe that um, Jesus actually preached that, uh, preached to, um, uh, to his followers to worship God only. And, um, we don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Um, we believe that God has no partners, no children, um, is the uncaused cause of all being, um, uh, beyond, you know, beyond human functions or beyond the limitations of this world. So, um, things like that we do believe are, uh, uh, a distortion of his message. Um, so we believe that all of the prophets preached the same exact message, and that is the the unity of God and the oneness of God. Um, I think that's natural. Um, you know, for for every religion to believe that they have the truth. Um, what I like about Islam, though, is that it validates all of those other religions truths so Islam doesn't say that you know everybody else is wrong um, it says that each of those uh, each of those nations uh, have a connection to God and that um, there's even I, I should have actually looked it up before I came here um, there are several verses in the Quran that say um, the Jews the Christians and the Sabians um, upon all of them they have no reason to fear or no, re no reason to grieve um, because they are following the path of God so um, it, we actually don't have that view that our way is the only way um, personally though in my opinion I think it's the best way for me um, I think it appeals to my needs the best um, and uh, that's why I choose it Definitely, there's a lot that you can do. Um, as a white male, you can use your privilege to help other people um, have a voice. You can include other voices. Um, you know, don't be afraid to to be an advocate. Um, you know, obviously there's always the fear that, oh, I, I don't want to misrepresent, but um, you can uh, advocate for the Muslim voice and you can advocate for direct consultation, even if, you know, if there's a Muslim character that you want to include, 
all you have to do is have run it by um, you know a few, and I would say a few different because you never know. Um, you know, there are so many diverse uh, Muslims that you really have to make sure that you're getting um, you know sort of an accurate uh, gauge. Um, but yeah, I mean, one horrible example of you know the wrong thing to do was um, this show that was announced a few years ago called Alice in Arabia, um, and they actually announced it uh, I think um, the first day, and then uh, there was like a Twitter storm, and then on the third day they were like, okay, just kidding, we're not going to do it. Um, but <laughs> but the storyline. First of all, it was not written by a Muslim. Um, it was written by, I think, an ex-military who claimed she had Muslim friends. Um, and it was about uh, a, a Muslim girl, or they said half Muslim girl, which doesn't even make sense, um, and who was abducted by the Muslim side of her family and taken to a compound in Saudi Arabia and I have no idea, she's Alice in Arabia, and Arabia is not even a place, so. Um, <laughs> so, so that's, you know, uh, thankfully, <laughs> ABC shut it down, I think it was ABC. Um, but, but I mean, I, I kind of tune out these days, I don't even wanna see, you know, sleeper cell, whatever, whatever's on, um, because it's just so off, it's so wrong, and you can just see um, in their portrayal uh, that they did not consult any Muslims. Um, there actually was a really great, well-intended show um, called Aliens in America, um, and it was on the air for a little while, uh, and then I think it, it just had poor ratings and it went off, but um, that was done with such good intentions. So it was um, a Muslim foreign exchange student from Pakistan um, who comes to an American family and the family freaks out because they thought they were getting a, a nice Italian boy. Um, and um, but even in that show, you see, I, I was just astounded at you know the conflation, like, they gave him a Hindu name, um, and you know there's this conflation between like India, uh, Islam, Hinduism, and um, Middle Eastern culture, and it just like you could just see that they had no idea what they were representing. But even that was done with you know such great intentions. And had they just had you know a couple Muslim writers in the room, those things could have been corrected. Um, but I mean, I, I think you know any effort at all is always appreciated. And um, as much as you can get Muslims directly involved, I think that's always the best way to go. Sure. So, um, so I should actually uh, give a little um, disclaimer when I say that. So, the Prophet Muhammad's life was well documented, but there also um, around his time um, were, or actually after his death, in the hundreds of years after his death, um, there arose a lot of people who were making up false stories about him, um, basically to to um, bolster their own agendas and be like, oh, the Prophet said that, so you have to. Um, so, so actually at the time that those hadiths or those narrations were being 
being written down, there were about six million of them. And so the scholarship arose um, a few hundred years after his death um, to try and trace down the most accurate uh, quotations and sayings, and they finally narrowed it down to, I think, less than 6,000 out of the 6 million. Um, and so even those have to kind of be taken with a grain of salt. Um, but they did, it, it, there's a whole Hadith science about, you know, how they uh, how they were able to extrapolate ex extrapolate um, the accurate ones from the false ones, and they would do things like um, you know if several different groups of people were saying the exact same thing, then there was a higher chance of it being more accurate, and they would trace the chains of narration. Um, so. So you also have to be careful when you look, you know, I, I definitely wouldn't just Google <laughs> um, because uh, there still exists a lot of, you know, false hadiths. And, and in fact, that is um, the source of when you hear these quote unquote Quranic verses in the media um, that extremists are using, they're oftentimes uh, using false and fabricated hadiths. So um, it is very tricky. Um, I. I I don't know if this is a, a fair comparison, but I guess it would be kind of similar to the Gospels uh, a little bit. So it's definitely not the word of God, and it's not 100% accurate, um, but you can get as close as you can. Um, there are a lot of really great biographies that have been written about his life. Um, Karen Armstrong wrote a biography. Um, I've read several, and I actually brought one today, um, uh, which is really a, a small book, but I think it it's, gives the most accurate um, and beautiful portrayal of his life. Uh, let me just grab it really quick. So I brought a little show and tell. Um, so this is just called The Seven Phases of the Prophet Muhammad's, of Prophet Muhammad's Life by Javid Akhtar. I mean, this is not like an official, you know, um, uh, I, 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 it's just something I, I kind of um, happened upon, and I think it gives the the best um, and most accurate um, uh, portrayal of his character. Another one is uh, No God But God by Reza Aslan. Um, but you can find a lot. Um, you can find documentaries, too. Um, if you go to Unity Productions Foundation, um, they actually have free documentaries that you can watch. Um, one of them is actually uh, on the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and his life. Um, and another one is uh, on, um, I believe it was Bilal, the Prince of Slaves. So it was an, uh, a, a Muslim African slave um, who was actually a prince in his home country and who was captured in the Americas. Um, so there's a lot out there. Um, I would, uh, um, you know, maybe start with something simple like this, and then you could go into more detailed accounts. Um, but one of my favorites is Destiny Disrupted. So that includes um, a brief biography of his life, and then goes into the whole history uh, of Islam and um, you know all the different um, variations of Islam across the world, which is really fascinating. Um, so actually in Islam, we do not have missionaries. Um, we do not have any sort of uh, trying to convert other people. Um, <clears throat> what you do see, um, you know, with the reports in the media about extremists trying to convert people, that's actually has no place in Islam. Um, 
Islamically, what we are told to do is let ourselves be an example of why Islam is beautiful and to exemplify in our character and our behavior um, the, the words of the Quran. Um, so there is no missionary um, in Islam. Uh, there's actually, there's no clergy. Um, there's no asceticism either. So um, as much as I would love to be a Muslim nun, we don't have that. Um, uh, we're, we're told not to be ascetics. We're told to, uh, to strive to um, go down the middle path because uh, oftentimes asceticism and any form of extremism, even if it's extreme good, um, then has this pendulum effect where it causes extremism in the other direction. So um, we're definitely, um, you know, uh, advised to, to just try to live a middle path in everything that we do.